This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 479, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, May 17th. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 479. It's our comic reviews episode for releases from the week of May 17th. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Uh, this episode is extremely delayed. I think we're recording this on the 28th of May. Um, I just uh, have not had a lot of opportunities to record lately. So um, we're talking about comics that came out almost two weeks ago. Um, but so this will be a bit of a quick rapid fire episode. Actually, because there's more time has elapsed, I've been able to read a little bit more than I usually would have time to. So I think I've read eight releases for the week of May 17th so far. Uh, the books I haven't had a chance to read include the following. Uh, Batman, Batwoman, Deadpool vs. Punisher, Generation X, uh, Green Lanterns, Guardians of the Galaxy, Mother Entropy, number three. Justice League number 21, uh, Justice League Power Rangers, Luke Cage, Monsters Unleashed, Nick Fury, Poe Dameron, Royals, uh, Star Wars, Super Sons, Superman, Teen Titans, Odyssey of the Amazons, The Punisher, The Ultimates 2, The Wildstorm, Trinity, and what else? Uh, U.S. Avengers and X-Men Gold. That's everything I did not get a chance to read of note. Um, so what did I get a chance to read? Well, that's a, that's a, a really astute question. Uh, first up, we have Aquaman number 23. Uh, this is written by a um, friend of the show, Dan Abnett, with artwork by Scott Eden. Always glad to see Scott Eden. Um, always enjoyed his artwork since the cross-gen days. Um, I thought this was kind of an interesting story. We're definitely seeing some upheaval for Aquaman. We've had a lot of surface stories, so this is kind of a response to everything that's been going on in that area of uh, Aquaman's life. He's being challenged for leadership, and the idea that maybe he's not the, the person to be king right now. Um, very interesting, and it looks like he's going to fight for his throne coming forward, so I'm excited to kind of see where they go with that. I, I always do like where we have more of the intrigue underneath the ocean. It can be difficult because obviously, um, you know, it, that's not always where people are more interested in uh, reading about Aquaman, but I think that's, in theory, the, an element that really can add complexity to the character. The problem is that with each writer, it always seems like Atlantis changes. Like, there's no kind of typical... Um, I'm trying to think, the geography even. Like, the geography of Atlantis changes, the look of Atlantis changes based on artists and writers, and it's just so different. Whereas, you know, if you're doing... If I'm a writer and an artist team coming on a you know, Spider-Man, New York, in theory, is going to kind of stay static for the most part. I mean, it's not going to maybe look like it did back in the 60s and 70s when all the artists were from New York and they were actually showing the real New York and drawing from their experience, you know, what they knew of what it looked like. But at least in theory, people live in cities so they can kind of replicate the idea of being in a city. Um, the, you know, and, and the location, the geography is a little bit more consistent. Uh, whereas you, when you have something like Atlantis, it's so immutable or mutable, I should say, that it can always change. So I, I am going to give this an eight. I thought it was a good, a good read. A bit slower paced because it's a little bit more of the politics of the region. There's a little bit of a kind of a fight sequence, but it's kind of perfunctory um, because the, really the the main meat of this is the upheaval on the political spectrum in uh, in Arthur's life. Uh, next up is issue number twenty of Daredevil. This is Charles Sewell and Ron Gurney. It's the conclusion of Purple, as we finally get to see uh, the ending of or the beginning of the new era in terms of. Uh, what happened and why not everyone remembers who Daredevil uh, is in terms of his secret identity. I really like this. Um, 
Garnier's art definitely has a rough sheen here, but in a good way. Like I, I can't stress it enough. Like I thought it really worked. Um, it's interesting. I talked to Ron Garnier last year, and ever since then, like I don't ever want to compare his art to anything because I remember he was kind of saying that that could have bugged him about when people do, did reviews, and they were like, you know, it looks like this, or it looks like that. And he's like, no, I look like myself. Like I look like Ron Garnier. Uh, why do you always have to compare it to someone else? But I guess that's how people who don't know as much about visual medium can relate things, and I unfortunately sometimes fall into that trap myself in fact probably more than i like to admit so i'm not going to make any comparisons there was definitely some thoughts i had in terms of what his art reminded me of um and other interpretations of the character but i'm going to leave it like that um i thought this was really interesting it was uh it's kind of like it was it was emotionally tough um the decisions that daredevil makes and there's like some really interesting moment where you know he does all this stuff, but all at the end of the day, the reason why he didn't do it, didn't go, didn't did all this amazing stuff was that he didn't want to go home, um, which is heartbreaking. Um, it's really interesting to kind of see the decisions he makes, and you kind of get them, but you're also like, why would you do this? Um, and it's interesting that it looks like you know there was kind of a master plan or there was a decision made, but it takes a long time to get there. Uh, and now we're finally kind of having Matt put into, you know, into place his plan. I did like the ending of the issue, especially like where, um, you know, he, he, he's talking to, I guess what the, the district attorney at the brand He's like, if it works, all be forgiven. And that one page or that one panel of him just kind of looking earnest and having gone through like this whole story arc and, and knowing exactly what he wants to be forgiven for, um, for what he's done and, um, what he put, um, Kristen through is, is really something. Uh, we don't really still really get a good explanation for why he switched his costume, but um, no, this this I thought this was really well handled. It's a tough, tough, tough go. Um, we've seen stuff like this before, so it's not like it's the most original idea. But it made sense to kind of. It felt very grounded in in Daredevil's world, as much as it's a crazy thing that happens that has really wide ranging um, implications. It also makes sense that it would happen uh, to a guy like. Matt and and given the characters involved, it, it kind of makes sense, and I appreciate that because I again I I could probably go back and listen to my reviews of earlier uh, earlier issues, and I was like liking it, but I was just so concerned. Like they keep talking about he knows what happened with the memory loss or why people don't know who he is. Obviously, there's something going on, and I was just so worried that it wouldn't be worth it, and or it would just be something that I thought you know was kind of dumb or stupid, and I thought that it worked. Uh, which I didn't think it would. It's a giant kind of, you know, Deus Ex, not Deus Ex Machina even, but there's that kind of a MacGuffin, like, of course they could do this, but I like that it still made me feel like it was drawing on elements from Daredevil's world in a way that didn't feel like there was an intrusion. So why am I harping on this point? Well, if you think back to Spider-Man One More Day, which is a huge reset, um, or brand new day, I guess. But one word is what, where the storyline happened that actually kind of kicked it into high gear. Um, introducing Mephisto, a character who has no real relation to Spider-Man, and having him mess with something huge and change that character forever doesn't really feel earned in terms of a Spider-Man book because it doesn't come from those characters. It doesn't come from his world. It feels very alien. It feels like an intrusion. It feels like editorial kind of stepping in in the guise of Mephisto and did what they wanted to do, which is essentially what happened. Um, whereas here, 
again, I appreciated that we're using characters that were in the prior run too. Like they were a major factor during the West Coast stories um, that uh, Wade and Somni were telling. So not only was it using characters that have been in Daredevil lore, but were recently in Daredevil lore in the time he was in San Francisco. So I thought Sewell did a great job of of, of making it pay off and making it not feel like this thing that was just kind of ham-fistedly shoved in there. Because it could have easily felt that way. Because uh, it was a giant reset in a huge way. Like, you know, the fact that you, you remove everyone's knowledge of him being uh, Daredevil is a massive change. And I like how they kind of, in, in the storyline, showed that it kind of had gone as far as it was going to go, and his life was so changed, and then they're able to kind of change it back, and how refreshing that would be for him, too. Um, anyways, I, I really I really like this. I'm not going to belabor the point any, any longer. I'm, I probably talked far too long about Daredevil already, but I just thought it was really good and entertaining. And I was, again, worried about how this would work. And I thought um, Sewell really made this pay off brilliantly. And I'm, I was really impressed. Uh, next up is Invincible Iron Man number seven. This is by Brian Michael Bendis and artwork by Stefano Caselli. Um, I'm just not a big fan of this book. I want to be a fan of Riri. I do. Uh, and I kind of like Riri. I just, I don't, I still am not completely enjoying um, how Tony Stark has just like an AI, he's just like a supporting character here. And like, I, I guess it just feels so insular. Like, I don't even know how they operate. Like how, how does she have this armor now? And how are they, how is Stark? What is Stark's company? Like, it just feels like the mechanics of things are just so sloppy at times. And to be fair, Venice probably doesn't want to waste his time worrying about that stuff. But, um, and, and using Will the Wisp again, didn't feel like Will the Wisp either. Like, it looks nice. I just, I'm not a big fan of the story. I want to be. I, I want to enjoy this. I, and I like Riri as the concept. I know a lot of people don't, but uh, I'm going to give it a six. Uh, next up, after Invincible Iron Man, we've got Mighty Thor 19, uh, which was good. Um, the only thing is, though, like, I thought the, I thought the Phoenix was kind of gone after AVX, so I, I don't remember the status quo of the Phoenix. Um, but I guess Jason Aaron would know, because wasn't he part of that? I can't remember. Uh, Jason Aaron wrote this with artwork by Russell Dowderman and Matthew Wilson on pages 1 to 10 and 18, and then 11 to 17 and 19 to 20 are by Valerio Shidi and Matt Lopez. Uh, so definitely different, but not too different that you can't enjoy the story and the art overall. Um, there's still, a, you know, there is obviously an artistic shift, but I didn't think it was that egregious or terrible. Um... Interesting way of ending the storyline, uh, you know, because it kind of reminded me in some ways of um, the Rogue War storyline, although not the same at all, but uh, Rogue War storyline over in The Flash by Jeff Johns, which was his last kind of multi-part arc on that book before he left, um, back when it was Wally. And what that was notable for me was that it felt like every issue was a major escalation and a shift and change in what this what the story you were reading isn't quite what it was going to be or wasn't quite what you thought it was going to be, but in a good way. And each issue um, kind of cliffhanger basically shifted the game until, you know, you started with Rogues on Rogues and then you ended, like if you just went to the first chapter, okay, you got Rogue on Rogue action. And then you flip to the last chapter and it's, oh, now you've got, Zoom and, and the Reverse Flash racing through time, and you have with Wally, and you also have Barry trying to save Wally, uh, time displaced version of him. Completely different from where you started the storyline, but it felt like a natural kind of every issue was shifting and changing the storyline and focus. I feel like at the end, that's kind of what we got here because you started the storyline with the War of the Shi'ar, 
you had the you know the Shi'ar gods, and that was kind of the issue. You had um, you know Jain versus the Shi'ar gods. And then you have Jain and the armies of Asgardia against the Shi'ar and um, you know the the Imperial Guard. And now you have the Phoenix, and it's you know all these people versus the Phoenix. So it's kind of an interesting escalation. Um, I liked it overall. I thought it worked. I thought it was a good story. I'm going to give it an 8. I continues to be interesting. Um, the the manga definitely doesn't look as intimidating as it, you know something like the Phoenix Force does, but I'm interested to kind of see, and I liked the last page here. I thought it was, it was kind of Kirby-esque in a, in a lot of ways, so I, I enjoyed that. Next up is Nightwing 21. Uh, I continue to enjoy this book. Uh, this is kind of an interesting kind of done one um, because it kind of it's very kind of different because you have Michael McMillan writing it, who I've never heard of, and Christian Duce on the art, and uh, I love the colors by Sotomayor. And it's a it's a Nightwing Flash uh, crossover, uh, not crossover, uh, team up. Uh, you get to see the two characters kind of interacting and and uh, working out some problems and uh, taking on a relatively simple villain together and um I, you know as it very much felt like a, a kind of a fill-in a placeholder issue but i thought it still worked uh even if that was how it maybe felt um i'm gonna give it an eight i actually thought it did a great job as kind of a you know pitching in and telling a, a good team-up story that um maybe isn't consequential but still felt important for those characters growth uh next up is secret empire number two uh this was, I mean, this was different. I don't, this will be interesting as an event to see when it's all done. Um, artwork by Andrea Sorrentino with Rod Reese. Artwork, and it's written by Nick Spencer. Uh, I'm still a fan. I thought the art was a major shift, though, but it is dark and kind of dirty, and it kind of works for what's going on here. And we're seeing a, a lot more development of, you know, kind of what else is going on out there. Um what's really going on behind the scenes. It was definitely more of an artistic issue than what we got in the last issue, which is a lot more straightforward. Um, yeah, I, I, overall, I liked it. Um, there's a lot going on. Um, it's just to see kind of where they go from here. Uh, you know, having the champions kind of wanted to do their own thing. Uh, the, the big ending, obviously, makes people wonder... You know, we don't know where it's taking place. It could be inside Steve Rogers' mind, for all we know. Like, it's interesting that he kind of looks like he did back in the Dimension Z days. I hope it doesn't invalidate stuff. Um, it definitely put, throws in a wrinkle, and I know I, I feel like a lot of people are upset about the potential wrinkle. You know, it's a story. We're at the second chapter of what ten now. They've they've lengthened the series, so if we're only twenty percent through, you can't really like if if you're reading a book, and you know it's two hundred pages. And you've read 40 pages. Are you really going to be like, wow, fuck this. I'm, I don't want to read this anymore. They they took a turn. and There's still like 80% of the story left. Like there's a lot of things that can happen. So I'm, I'm trying to become a little bit more um, uh, sage uh, in terms of not just jumping on, oh my God, oh my God, and being such a dick about things. I still thought it was good. I'm going to give it a seven. I don't think it was quite as strong as the first issue, but still entertaining. Still, you know, kind of made it worth worth your while. Uh, next one, I actually don't even remember if this came out on the 17th, but I'm going to pretend that it did. Uh, we got Star Trek The Next Generation Mirror Broken by David Tipton and Scott Tipton with art and colors by J.K. Woodward, who's actually going to be on the show at some point in the next couple of months. Uh, I First of all, 
the art is absolutely gorgeous. Now, it's great to have a, a mirror story with the generation uh, next generation crew. I thought that was a really cool concept. Um, I love the idea that the cards on the Stargazer still. Um, I liked, I really like the version of, uh, of Picard we got here and, uh, the Inquisitor, not the, um, counselor, but the Inquisitor, uh, with him, uh, kind of thought it was interesting to see what, who's on this crew, um, what their status is, what they do. Um, I, th- I really like the artwork by Woodward. There are times when it seems a little static. That being said, he's also realistically depicting what Patrick Stewart with a beard looks like, as well as, you know, showing data, sorry, data, showing data, uh, Jordy, like, he, he nails their likenesses, and that's not easy. Um, so I will forgive potential, you know, sometimes the character's looking a little static, because they look amazing. Um, they look like the characters that they're supposed to be. I thought this was really entertaining. I thought it was really fun. I haven't read a lot of the kind of the Star Trek books that have been coming out. Um, I have read a bunch of the ones by Woodward. He's amazing. Um, I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. And last but not least, what is our last book? We have The Flash 22, otherwise known as the fourth chapter of The Button. So The Button, let's be honest, didn't really move things forward. Well, maybe they inched them forward. Um, it was almost more like a reminder. Hey, remember what happened a year ago with Rebirth? We're still on that story, but we haven't given you much to go on since then. Um, Epic said, I still liked it. Howard Porter on art, Joshua Williamson on script. Obviously, he was the, the one who did it most the heavy lifting here as he scripted three of the four issues. Uh, obviously, he worked on the last issue of Batman with Tom King, but the uh, actual scripting was by Williamson. Uh, here you have Batman and Flash trying to track down Reverse Flash in the time stream as he's trying to find out the secret of the button. Uh, he ends up on, you know, somewhere else, um, and he thinks he sees God and doesn't want to die but is killed. And Batman and uh, the Flash are almost lost in the time stream as the cosmic treadmill falls apart, and they are saved by Jay Garrick, who gets free but is not remembered by any uh, either Batman or the Flash. It looks like he needs a different lightning rod uh, to center him, so that's a little sad that we kind of get Jay and then Jay's immediately gone. Um, the interesting part is that we have start to see the after effects of the speech that Thomas Wayne had. Um, or gave, I should say, to Bruce, uh, what it's have, what kind of effects it's having on him. We also get to see a giant blue hand pick up the smiley face button, and we see a bit of narration that is pulled right from Watchmen. So, um, if it was just an illusion before to uh, to uh, the Watchmen characters, it's a lot more explicit now. And then we get an epilogue using the Watchmen typeface, and it's kind of a two-page um, epilogue that doesn't really add much. You just see the button, you see a flash. Um, uh, you have a close-up on the button, and then you you actually do uh, you go super tight, and then you come out, and then you see it's the Superman shield, and we see that it, the next uh, storyline is the Doomsday Clock by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank in November 2017. So that'll be a happy little birthday for me in November. Uh, so that's kind of it for all our new releases, and I say that tongue in cheek a little because they came out a while ago. Um, again, like what 11 days ago. Looking at comics I'll talk about in our next reviews episode, uh, which actually you know did come out a few days ago. Um, May 24th releases some of the books we might be talking about, including Infamous Iron Man, Ben Riley, Scott Spider, Action Comics. Um, some other selected releases from that week include All New Guardians of the Galaxy number 2, Batgirl, uh, Batman Shadow, Batman Beyond, Black Panther, Blue Beetle, Deathstroke, um, which I think is part of... It's part of the, the Lazarus contract. I haven't 
I don't even remember where that starts. I actually really figured that out. Uh, new issues of Secret Warriors, Star Lord Annual, um, the new the Normals by Adam Glass, who was recently on the show uh, a couple months ago. Uh, Venom 150, which I'm hearing a lot of good buzz about, as well as a new issue of X Men Blue. Uh, so we'll be talking about that on our next reviews episode. Our next episode, though, 480, will be our uh, part one of a conversation with Alex Saviak. I was hoping that I would be able to have part two uh, recorded so that we could put it all up as one big extra long episode. Unfortunately, just scheduling has per, not per, permitted this to happen. So that will be coming up uh, soon. Um, and then I guess 682 will be our spotlight on Wonder Woman. Uh, 684 will be our conversation with Chip Zdarsky. Uh, 686 will be our conversation with Brian Wood. So a lot of exciting stuff is coming up soon. Uh, thanks again for joining me for this episode. You can reach me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and you can also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.